Amen. While we are in the book of Matthew, and so as you are opening your Bibles to to Matthew, we are in chapter 2. And so as we go through through this book, understand one thing, that the book is here to reveal to us the life and the story of Jesus, as well as the teachings from Jesus. And we know that as we go through the Bible, as we go through Matthew, I should say, we know that it's going to give us the good news of salvation. As I share this, I, I just want you to understand that as we go through the book of Matthew, remember that the purpose of Matthew's writing is to make sure that we understand that Jesus was, in fact, the King of the Jews. He was a promised king that would come from the Davidic line through King David. And so we also know one thing is that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken of him. And so we have several, uh, several prophecies that, that were prophesied regarding Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so as we go through the book, you're going to see today there's a few prophecies that point to Jesus as the king. And so, as we've been talking about Jesus as the, the king of the Jews, one thing that we know is that Matthew wanted to prove this. He, he wanted to make sure that the Jews understood that Jesus was, in fact, their king. He was the one that was promised to them. And as being promised to them, what we have here is the fact that Matthew continues on this theme. And he continues on this theme so that we can see it. Because, see... As Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. And so as a king comes, Matthew wants to point to the fact that there were people that acknowledged him as the king of the Jews. There were people that came to worship him as the king. And so this is what, what Matthew wants to convey to us. And so as he conveys this to us, he's going to show us how, how there were people that came to pay him homage. And that is to give a public display of, of, of respect and, and honor. And so as we read today the story of the three kings, the events, I should say, of the Magi, they weren't kings, of the wise men, of the Magi, I want you to understand this, is that, is that they came to bring us two, two things. One is, they bring to us the worship that God deserves, that Jesus Christ deserves. That is what they're, they came to do. They came to show us that, that Jesus would receive the worship that He deserves. And secondly, they came to bring something that would happen with their arrival. And this would be death. This would be destruction. Because there's an enemy out there that, des- that desires to destroy the works of God. The arrival of Jesus. And so we have these, these things that the, that the three wise men brought. And we never look at it that way. Because we always look at the fact that the wise men only came to worship Jesus. But because of their arrival, it brought in the works of Satan to destroy the Lord himself. And so with that, we're going to read all of chapter 2. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go through these verses and just expound on them. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, there in Matthew it says, 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will worship my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it had come and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, Instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And so we have here these three wise men. And what we, uh, what we have here is really what the Magi brought, right? What they brought into the land. And as we see here, they were, they were coming to worship the king and and as they came to worship the king, we know that there was a madman, a crazy man, a, a man that lost it, a maniac that, that was there. And he was in fear of, of the power that he had. He was in fear of losing it. 
And so as we see, as with their arrival, it brings in this, this destruction, this, this, this death that comes into the land. And so let's go ahead and now begin to expound on these various verses to get a greater understanding of, of what the Spirit wants us to know, of what the Spirit of God wants us to walk away with. And it says there in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So we see here, right? We see what's taking place. You know, this is after the birth of Jesus as it states. And what you have here after the birth of Jesus, you have these wise men, these magi. They come, and, and they come because they desire to worship the Lord. They desire to pay homage to the Lord. And so what happens here is that, is that they come to Jerusalem. And as they come to Jerusalem, they're, they're, they're looking for the king. And, and we know that a star was guiding them in this area. And so to understand really what is taking place here too, to understand the relevance of, of this worship of God, this worship of the Lord, let's talk in detail about who these magi were. I know that many of us have the nativity scene, right? When we, when we have Christmas as it just passed here in December, many of us have bought the nativity set. And as we bought the nativity set, we see there... Joseph and Mary, and we have the sheep, and we have the hay, and, and we have these, these three magi. Well, I want you to know one thing about this, is that these magi that we're talking about, we don't know for a fact that there was three. Okay? The only reason that it's determined, or that it is said to be three, is because of what it says in verse 11. It says there, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so you see here the three gifts, which was an act of worship, right? As they fall down and, and worship the Lord, they give him gifts. This is a a manner of reference, of respect, of honor. And so we'll go into detail regarding this gift. But before we go there, this is where it is determined that there was three. We don't know for a fact that there was three. This is some tradition that has come later. And it is said because of the three gifts that they give. When you look at who these wise men were, and this is critical in our understanding of what is happening here. When you look at these wise men, and for those of you that have study Bibles or, or Bibles that, 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 that give you further detail when it comes to, to additional insight, when you look at the word wise there, there's a number that is probably associated with it. And when you look at that number, if you have a Bible that, that is a study Bible or a Bible with greater detail, it has the translation of it in the Greek. And what it says there is magi, okay, or magos, okay? And I want us to understand that these men weren't actually considered, I mean, they are wise because of, uh, of the things that they have studied, but in reality, these men are called magi. They're magos, okay? This is where we get the word magi. 
And I share, share this with you because, see, there's a lot more to, this, to these magi than many of us think or than many of us maybe have understood. See, because magi, I want you to understand, these magi men were a priesthood of the Medes. Okay? This is who they were. They were a priesthood of the Medes. Just like for the Jews, right? In order to be a priest of the Jews, you had to belong to the Levitical tribe. In order to be a priest for the Medes and the Persians, you needed to be a priest from the tribe of Magi. That's why they're called Magi. And so, when you look at these Magi, these priests of the Medes and the Persians, understand that this was a very large group. But this group that we have here was a very powerful group. Okay? They weren't just Magi, but they had a lot of power with them. See, they rose to power, these Magi. And I want you to know why they rose to power. is because of their wisdom. They rose to power because of their occult practices. They rose to power because of their astrological and astronomical ability. And they rose to power and became advisors to the kings of Babylon, of Persia, and of the Medes. This was an extremely powerful, high-ranking group of priests. Okay? And I want to share this with you because, see, it goes further than this. Whenever a king of Persia was seeking or was anointed to be king, he had to learn the law of the Medes and the Persians. And these were taught by the Magi. And I want you to know how powerful they became. They were so powerful that no king in Persia could ever become king unless the Magi approved them. That's how powerful they were. In other words, these men became the official kingmakers of the empire. And when we look at them, I want you to know this. These priests, these priests had so much power, so much power that they contained within the ranks, that as kingmakers, they would announce these kings. They would anoint these kings. They would say that they were ready to rule. So what, how is it that these kings knew about King Jesus? Okay, because how is it that we re, how, how they relate, right? I mean, how is it that they come together? See, when you look at these magi, understand this. Remember, these magi were the priests of the Babylonians, of the Medes, and the Persians. And in being king, I mean, in being magi to them, priests to them, they learned about Jesus. And they learned about Jesus, they learned about the king, when the Babylonians conquered Israel 500 years before the arrival of Jesus. And so what the Jews did is that they taught these magi about Jesus. 
And what's interesting about this is that they knew his arrival. And I want to share this with you. There was one Jew, one Jew that we all know of. His name is Daniel. Daniel was a man that taught these magi. He was a man that was placed over all of these magi. And one thing we know about Daniel is that he was not shy regarding his submission, his faith in the Lord. I want to share this with you because, see, this gives us the insight that we need to know as to why these men came and how they knew about Jesus. When you look at Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, it says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of God, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So in other words, what you have here is that Daniel was made chief over all of these magi. So in other words, he was considered the wisest above all. All of these men, these, mag- uh, these magicians, these astrologers, these Chaldeans, these soothsayers, they didn't compare to the wisdom that Daniel had. And so Daniel became their teacher. And so you can see how it's all pieced together. How they would have known about Jesus, the King of the Jews. And in knowing this, look at what it says. As we continue here in, in, in verse 12, it says of Daniel 5, it says, Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Balthazar, now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. In other words, what we are given here is the fact that it was Daniel that began to teach these magi. It was Daniel that began to teach them about Jesus. And so they were looking forward to the king. And this is extremely important because, see, as we realize These Medes that were called, as we begin to realize these, I should say, these Magi that came to pay homage to Jesus, they knew that he was the king. Remember, these were the kingmakers. These were the ones that that established the kings that would be. And to get a greater understanding, even a deeper understanding... We got to also look at the political side of all of this because, see, as I give you the political side, it's going to make sense as to why Herod reacted the way he did. See, during this time, there were two, there was one great power, right? The power in the West, which is Rome. Rome was the conqueror. Rome was the ruler of the known world. And remember the Medo-Persians. At one time, they were also a world power, right? They were actually also like Rome, the ruler of the known world. But they were conquered. And so Rome at this time, at the time of Jesus, was actually the world empire. And what you had is you had the Persians that were trying to once again gain power. They were there once again trying to overthrow the Romans. And this is where you get... The Roman-Persian Wars. So you have the Persians on the east. Remember, that's Iran and Iraq and, and these areas, right? 
that's where you have the Medo-Persians. And then on the west, you have Rome. And so you have these, these, these empires, you know, the world empire trying to be overthrown by the Persians. And so when we look at this, right, you begin to understand that these Magi were actually Persians. And so when they came in, right, you have the people that have a great fear. Why? Because they're thinking, what's going on here, right? And these Magi that come, they come looking for the king of the Jews. And I want to share this with you. When they came, they came with an entourage of people. These Magi would not just come, the three, you know, wise men or the three Magi coming, right? It would not be just alone, but they came with an entourage of people because they are here to give worship to the king. And so you have 500 to 1,000 people that would have been in their entourage. They would have been there, right, to pay homage to the king, to worship the king, and plus to protect themselves, right? Because they got to travel from the east to the west. And so you have them, right, as they come in, right, seeking this king of the Jews. I'm going to tell you today about these kings. Have any of you heard about the shrine of the three kings? Anybody here? Show of hands. Nobody heard? Okay. Well, there is a shrine. There, they, they have this shrine that is dedicated to these three kings. And it's actually in Germany. It's in, it's in Cologne, Germany. And there's actually a cathedral there. And they believe that the remains of these three kings are actually there. They actually have given names to these three kings. And the names to the three kings are Malkor, which was a Persian scholar, Caspar, not Caspar the friendly ghost, Caspar the Indian scholar, and Balthazar, an Arabian scholar. Okay, and I think the older folks are the only ones that laughed about Caspar. The young ones don't know who that is. There was a cartoon that used to come out. But aside from that, we're talking about here these three. And I do want to share this with you about these these. These magi, these, these wise men, we don't know if there was three. I'll be honest with you, that's all nonsense. The fact that they have the remains of these three magi, the fact that, that they have names to them, no one even knows who they were. There could have even been four or five. We don't know. The only reason that three came up was because of the gifts that they gave. And we know that they came to Jerusalem only because a star was guiding them there. Okay? And we're going to go into greater detail about this because right now all we know is that they pronounced to King Herod that guess what? There was a star in the east that, has, that we saw that is directing us to the king of the Jews. And they tell King Herod one thing that just, you know, gets King Herod all worked up is the fact that they are there to worship the king of the Jews. And we're going to learn about Herod. And let's learn about this man. Because see all of this comes together. In verse 3 here in Matthew chapter 2 it says. When Herod the king heard this. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So what we have here is that. Herod is extremely troubled. See Herod is an extremely suspicious man. This man, Herod, was a madman. This man, Herod, was a maniac. This, this man, Herod, was just cruel and he was evil. And I'm going to share things about King Herod because, see, 
King Herod, as soon as he finds out that there's somebody there to worship the king of the Jews, Herod gets upset. Herod is troubled because he's the king of the Jews. And then to know that the Persians are coming in is more disturbing to him. Because, see, these are the ones that want to take over Rome. And so you have these things going on, but they come in peace, right? So there's nothing that's happening here. All they're doing is searching for the king of the Jews. And so as we look at this, as we think about this, let's, let's look at Herod so that we can get a better understanding of this. See, Herod was a diabolical man. He was used of the devil to accomplish the works of Satan. Herod had ten wives and twelve children. And when you look at Herod, when we look at the history of Herod, Herod was not a Jew. So already you had the Jews that didn't accept Herod as the king of the Jews. See, Rome had given him the title as the king of the Jews. And they did this because Herod had promised peace in the land. He says, you know what? I can handle these Jews. I can take care of the Jews. And, and he, was, he basically hold, sold himself out because he was so power hungry. You want to know some details about this man? He was an Edomite. And for those of you that know about the Edomites, they came from Esau, which was the t- twin brother of Jacob. And Jacob is, 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 the, is the one that had the 12 sons, and that's where the 12 tribes come from. But Esau was the one that was rejected because he was a man of the flesh. He chose the flesh. He didn't cho- choose the things of God. And so, so you have Jacob that has the 12 sons, and that's where the Jews come from. And then you have Esau an Edomite, so we know that, uh, that, that the Edomites came from. So you know that, that King Herod was rejected because he wasn't a Jew. So he was always on edge. He always knew that, you know what, that the Jews didn't want him in power. And so he was always suspicious of everyone. See, he had a father, and the father's name was Antipas. And Antipas was named governor of Jerusalem and Judea, by the Romans. And he had this son named Herod. But Herod was so power hungry that he began to just, you know what, to, to, he began to convince the Roman Senate that he was for them and not for the Jews. But that he could keep order amongst them. And so they decided to make him a governor over Galilee. And so what happens is, the Persians at one time during the the authority of Herod, they, the Persians came into Palestine and Syria. And so Herod escapes and he tells Rome that guess what? They're coming in. And so what Rome does is Rome says, okay, you know what? They're coming in. And he begins to convince them that he's on their side. And based on all of this and saying, you know what? There's all this turmoil. I can bring peace in the land. I can bring peace amongst the Jews. And so they said, you know what we're going to do? Because of your loyalty to Rome... We will make you king of the Jews. And they made him king of the Jews and they gave him an army of Roman soldiers to establish this. And it took him three years to finally be tagged and and, and for the people to accept it. Even though they they only accepted him by, by name, but they didn't follow him. They didn't want to follow him, right? Because he wasn't truly a Jew. But it took him three years to establish his position. And so... What you have here is this man that did everything in his power to retain that position. Did you know that anyone that 
ever threatened his power, if he was suspicious of anyone, and this includes his mother or his wife, that this man killed them all, he killed them off. He killed his wife. He killed his three sons. He killed his mother-in-law. This guy, anyone that he was suspicious of, he would kill. So imagine this. He comes in hearing that these magi are looking for the king of the Jews. So you know what's in his mind and in his heart, right? I will do whatever I can to kill Jesus, to kill this king of the Jews. And we know as we get into verse 16 that we're going to see that he orders the destruction and the death of all children two years and under. For those of you that have children, imagine, and the children in the nursery, in order to kill all of these children, this was the reality of this. This is what's taking place. We know that Herod is also known. You know, the, this is the bad part of, of Herod. And, and we know that he was used of the enemy. And we know that he was, he was evil. But we know that he was also a master builder. This guy built racetracks. This guy built theaters. This guy was the one that built an amazing palace for himself. This is the one that began the plan and the building of the temple in Jerusalem. This was that temple that he wanted to build, like the temple that Solomon built. We know that Herod didn't live to see the completion of the temple, but we also know that this is that same temple that was destroyed in A.D. 70 when the general Titus went into Rome. And when, remember, as Jesus said, you didn't know the hour of your visitation. And he was weeping because they would all be destroyed. In A.D. 70, Rome destroyed all of Jerusalem, over a million people, were killed and so what we have here is again just now you have an understanding as to why herod was thinking the way he was thinking and why we have these magi that are coming to pay their homage and their worship of the king so let's read in verse four it says and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together he inquired of them where the christ was to be born what's so amazing about this is that herod gathers the chief priests and scribes and he asked him to find out where Christ was to be born. And so this is the response that these scribes and chief priests give to Herod. In verse 5 it says, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it, was, it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. If you ever want to know truth, even these religious people, if you ever want to know truth, you know where you go? You go to the scriptures. Let us remember this. This is why Jesus tells us that, that in the beginning was a word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word became what? Flesh. We must understand that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you remember when Jesus was with his disciples? What did he tell them? If you, I will teach you the truth, and when I teach you the truth, the truth will set you what? Free. How many of us have been set free by the word of God? I know all of us. See, you and I understand this. We are born of the word, and we are born of the spirit. Peter describes this to us that you and I are born of the word of God because the word of God, as we hear it, it gives us a new birth. And the Spirit of God also gives us this new life in Jesus Christ. They work in unison and we must understand this. 
It's like you have a mama and a papa, right? You have the Word of God and you have the Spirit of God. And they both work to give us this new birth. And so the, even these religious people, they know where to get the truth. And as they look to the Word of God, they find out that He would be born in Bethlehem. They look to the Old Testament Scriptures and they find it in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. And so they give this to him. And of course, as they look to the Scriptures, it reveals the truth of God. And one thing about the Scriptures, I want you to know this. Every prophecy that has been given of Jesus, it is a promise of God, and He is faithful to complete every single one of them. Understand this, that God is faithful in His Word to complete everything that He tells us. If He has, and remember this about the Word of God, it is alive, it is living, it is sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. When you read the Word, and God makes a promise to you through that Word, you hang on to it. When God shared with me that I would one day, He gave me a vision, and He gave me His Word. He told me that I would one day plant a church in La Puente. He gave it to me in a dream, as we're going to see how God speaks in dreams. And then He gave me His Word in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, that He was able to complete the promise that He gave me. Understand this, that word was about Abraham, but because his word is alive, it was to me. And now you are living proof that God's word is true. And whatever he tells us, he does. Whatever he promises, he does. And as we go to verse 7, it says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So what we see here is Herod, right? He calls him. He, he has a secret meeting with the wise men. I want to share this with you. Anytime there's secret meetings, are they ever of the Lord? Whenever you call somebody, you know what, I want, I want to have a meeting with you, just you and me. Don't tell anybody else. What are they going to tell you? It's always either lies or some evil plan or, or gossip about somebody. And that's the same thing that Herod's doing here, right? I want to meet you in secret. Okay, so he's devising a plan. He's, he's, he, he wants a plan. He wants, he wants to kill off the king of the Jews. And then verse 8 tells us, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So what Herod does here, see there was an exchange here, right? Herod tells them he's in Bethlehem. But we know that the wise men, the Magi, had no idea about Herod at this time. They thought that Herod was actually there to help them and to be with them and to, and to help them to find this king of the Jews. And so the wise men tell him exactly when the star appeared to them. So he knows more or less when it happened because see, he has a plan. And in return he tells them to go to Bethlehem. So let's read now in verse 9. It says, and when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the, where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Okay? So what you have here is you have these three wise men. They hear from the king, and they depart, and they follow the star. 
I'm going to reveal a truth to you here. How many of us, we've seen the stories, we've seen the plays, we've seen the movies, how they show the star beaming where Jesus is. Okay? We've all seen that, right? I want to reveal a truth to you. That's not true. That didn't happen that way. You know what happens? It reveals to us in verse 9. The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young, over where the young child was. Did you know that this star was leading them? This was the Shekinah glory of God. This was God leading them to where Jesus was. Remember how God leads people? For us, we're led by the Spirit of God. We're led by His Word. At this time, we know that the Spirit wasn't given for all men to dwell with them for, for all, for, for forever or for the time being as they live but i want you to know one thing remember the time of the wilderness what was guiding the jews into the promised land they had the cloud by day and the fire by night you had a supernatural work of god here guiding these wise men it wasn't planted on the home where jesus was it was guiding them to the location that Jesus was. Imagine how amazing this sight would have been. This star, this, this Shekinah glory, this light that is leading the Magi to where Jesus is. And when they find him, it says that they had this exceeding great joy. And then verse 11 tells us, And when they came into the house, they saw the young Jesus with Mary his mother. And fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you have here, right? We talked about the Magi came to worship. The Magi, Magi came to, to acknowledge the king of the Jews. The Magi came to present them. To give a public, a public acknowledgement of honor and respect to the king. They knew that who he was. And they worshipped him. And it's important for us to know this. And they worshipped him by giving him gifts. But let me share something else with you. What you have here is you have two sets of people. You have King Herod that says, I want to worship God. I, find, I want you to find him for me. And you have these that actually find Jesus. And they worship him. See, as a reminder for us, as a people, are we people that just say we worship Jesus and we want to worship Him? Or are we people that truly worship Him? And what you do is you worship Him with your lives. See, these men, they traveled a long distance to find Jesus. And when they found Him, they fell to their feet to submit to Him as Lord, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But Herod says, I want to worship him. You know what? Find him for me. But see, Herod had a love for power. Herod had a love for the things of this world. See, and what Jesus tells us, remember he says, you cannot love the world and love me. You make yourself an enemy of me, as he tells us in James chapter 2. We also know that as Jesus has, has shared with us through John, the Apostle John, he says that 
You can't love the things of the world and follow me. See, the things of the world will separate you from Jesus. They will bring destruction. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. This is what Herod was. And Herod in no way was going to give his life to Jesus, even though he said, you know what, I want to worship him. Like many people say, you know what, I know Jesus, you know what, I, I, wanna, I, I know who he is, I know the king of the Jews, you know what, I'm going to raise my hand. But yet they don't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to do as he says. And so what we have here is we have two individuals that really reflect the world today, right? The choice that you made for Jesus. And understand this. You cannot stand on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Either you're for him or against him. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to worship God and also love the world. It doesn't work that way. You make yourself an enemy of the other. And so you have here Herod and you have here these magi. And and these magi as... uh, As an act of homage, they open their treasures and they present him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm going to talk about these and I'm going to just share quickly how they point to Jesus. These were expensive gifts. This is how they paid homage. It is believed because of these gifts. Remember, Joseph was on the run. Joseph couldn't work. It was believed that through these gifts, they were able to support Joseph and Mary in the early ages of Jesus before Joseph was able to be, you know, to exercise his trade as carpenter. And so you have these gifts that they give, and the first one they give is is gold. And let us be reminded about gold. Gold is, is fitting for the king, isn't it? Anytime there is a king... Mentioned, he's always associated with gold, whether it be a gold crown, whether it be a gold scepter, whether it be gold around him, a gold seat, whatever it is, the king is always associated with gold. We also know when it comes to frankincense, understand this frankincense speaks of deity. Understand this, remember, incense was required of the Jews to constantly be burning to Jesus. They wanted incense, God wanted incense constantly going up to Him. This sweet aroma, and we, we know that the, this, this represented the prayers of the saints, but it represented something else. See, this incense, it came from the bark of a tree in Arabia. And this incense brought out a fragrance. And I want you to understand about this fragrance that it gave. It was a sweet aroma to the Lord. It was a sweet aroma to God. And this sweet aroma, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's what it was for Him. When you look at myrrh, myrrh is also a little tree in Arabia. It's a tiny tree. And from this tiny tree comes out a beautiful perfume. But I want you to know when it comes to myrrh what it is. See, when you look at myrrh, myrrh was always placed 
on the dead. And why did they place this perfume on the dead? Because have you ever smelled anything that is dead, whether animal or person? It smells. And so what would happen after some time is they would put the perfume, this myrrh, on the body so that it would be sweet-smelling. And so what we have here is, again, the fact that it points to the death of Jesus. And we know that as Mary, Magdalene, the women, as they anointed the body of Jesus, that they put what? Myrrh. And so as we look at this, right, these were fitting for the king, especially King Jesus, as it pointed to the royalty that he is in the gold, as it pointed to the sweet-smelling aroma as he sacrificed his body and as he gave his body for us. And then as we go into verse 12, it says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So you see the magi that are divinely warned. You know what? Don't go to Herod. Don't speak to Herod. And so they go another way. And then Herod finds out. And when he finds out, look at what happens here in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Here he is fulfilling the prophecy from Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. See, Joseph was divinely warned by the angel, as we see there, in a dream, as we're talking about dreams, how, how God speaks to people in dreams. How many of you, a show of hands, have, have been given a divine insight or divine word from God in a dream? A show of hands. There's a few of you, and I raise my hand. I'm, I'm with you all, so you can see this. It's living proof that God talks to men and women in dreams. And He says there, you know what, I want you to go to Egypt. The place of bondage, the place of slavery. And now it's going to be a refuge for you. It's going to be a place, a safe haven. Because you have Herod who seeks the life of Jesus. And then verse 16 it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. And in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. You know, when we look at the nativity sets that we have, right, you always see the wise men there, the magi, and you always see the little baby Jesus there, right? It's not true. Remember, Herod determined the time that Jesus came. So he knew that Jesus would have been two years old or a little younger. So what we have here is really the fact that by the time the Magi went to Jesus, he would have already been two years old. And so you have here, right, the anger, remember, the destruction. See, this is what happens, right, when people don't want Jesus. They are so angry 
when it comes to Jesus, right? You're either going to get two responses. One is an openness to Jesus or another is a hatred towards Jesus, right? And this is a natural thing. This happens and this is what Jesus does. He comes to divide. Either you're going to accept Jesus or you're going to reject Jesus. And we see here Herod, of course, so angry because he's threatened. His power is threatened. He wants to be and remain king of the Jews. And so he sends out this edict, this proclamation to kill every male child that is two years old and under. And we know that Jeremiah talked about this, that one day there would be a lamenting, a weeping, a mourning. That Rachel, remember as Rachel, the, the wife, the wife of, of Jacob, as she would have her children, as she had Benjamin and Joseph, that, that there would be a one day when they would re weep. And this is the time that he was talking about. Because all of these kids were going to be slaughtered. And all the women and the, man, the men at this time would be weeping because of their children that were killed. Verse 17 says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The fulfillment of this prophecy. Verse 19, as we, as we keep moving on, it says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. What we have here is again... I want you to understand that our battles, and know this, when anybody comes against you, did you know that it's not the people that come against you? You know who comes against you? The spirit behind the people. This is the enemy of our soul. He uses people to come against us. He used Herod to come against us. I mean, to come against Jesus. You know, this is why Paul tells us and reminds us for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When people are coming against you, guess who it is? It is the, the, the spirit of the enemy that has sent them to torment you, to aggravate you, to oppress you, to afflict you, to do whatever it is, because our battle is not against flesh and blood. See, the enemy has lost us. And I remember, I'll share this with you, just as the ministry of Jesus, just as the birth of Jesus has begun, I remember when I came to know the Lord, and I'll share this with you, I remember I thought, you know what, everything is going to be great, right? I come to Jesus, I've come to surrender myself to God. I'm now this new person, and, and you think to yourself, you know what, everything is going to be perfect now, right? Immediately, you have people coming against you. Immediately, I lose my job. Immediately, all these things are falling apart, right? And I'm thinking, God, all I did was come to surrender my life to you. And this is what's happened. It's twofold. One, the enemy uses people to come against you. 
two, the Lord wants you to gain a dependence and a complete trust in Him. Because no one thing is that He will never disappoint you. He is faithful, as He said here, to complete every promise that He's given. As a child of God, you have promises that are abundant in nature, abundant in number. You know that this Bible is filled with promises that God has given to you. And He will fulfill each and every one of these promises. He will. He has given you promises that you probably haven't even read yet, that you probably don't even know. Understand this, that God has a good plan for us. He has a great plan for you. And He wants to do great things in and through you. The problem is, is that, you know what, people don't want to receive these things, right? Because they think that I'm going to lose out like Herod. I'm not going to have power anymore. I'm not going to have all of these riches. You know what? I've got to hold on to everything I have, to the things of the world. And we don't have to think that way. Because God has so much more for you. He does beyond what you ask or think. His gifts are out of this world. His gifts are blessings from on top. The windows of heaven are open to us and He showers us with His gifts. Far greater gifts than you can ever receive in this world. And God is good. And He is the greatest gift giver that has ever lived. And He lives forevermore. See, God is good. And as we see this, right, as we see the prophecy of Jeremiah 31.15 being fulfilled, as we read it here, see, as we, as we saw this, I'm sorry, we saw the prophecy read previously. The prophecy that is given here, I'm sorry, talks about this Nazarene. I want to share this about this. When it comes to this Nazarene, the prophets weren't saying that Jesus would be called a Nazarene, but they would, he would be called what Nazarene symbolizes. And this is what Nazarene symbolizes. And it's from Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. This is what everyone thought of a Nazarene. And this is why it is written here. As you see, the amazing story of Jesus of his birth and the attacks of his birth and all. He had to go from city to city. And we know one thing, that God was guiding and protecting him the same way that you and I can receive the assurance that God is guiding you and leading you. The thing is, is that are we hearing the voice of God or are we hearing a different voice? I've shared this in times past. There are so many voices that want our attention. Are you listening to His voice? If you're listening to His voice, His voice will always bring you peace. His voice will always align itself with the Scriptures. His voice will bring you comfort. Whenever you have a voice that gives you just an easiness, a voice that you know that doesn't sound right, a voice that will bring chaos, a voice that will bring destruction, that's of the enemy. See, the enemy is after you. 
When you become a child of God, He's after you. But as God promises one thing, that you have the victory through Jesus. That you and I are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And we can rest in this truth. Let us all walk and let us seek to be in the perfect will of God. And the perfect will of God brings so much fruit and abundant fruit. You will see how God will just do an amazing thing. And, I, and, I was, and, I, and as I was reading the other day, Psalm 1, I'm going to read it to you. It's one of my favorite psalms. For those of you that know that, look at what it says. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He loves the word of God. We are to be lovers of the word of God. We are to meditate on the word of God. And then he goes on to say, He shall be like the tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is a promise of God. If you meditate on the, law, on the Word of God, if you desire the Word of God and you love the Word of God, you know that you will live out the Word of God. And as we live out the Word of God, we know that we are promised abundant fruit. And we will see that when the leaves come in our lives, they won't wither, but they will stand green and they will stand strong. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your glorious word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for reminding us, Lord, of why these wise men came, Lord. They came to worship. But as they came to worship you, it also brought forth destruction and death. And so, Lord, I just pray now that as we see and as we examine these two men, Herod and the wise men, how some came to truly worship you and some and Herod, he wanted nothing of you. He despised you. He hated you. He thought that you would take away the things of this world that would perish. But little did he know that what you give us is far greater than this world can ever give. If there's anyone here that wants to make a decision for Jesus Christ, maybe you just wanted him to be your Savior and Maybe you never wanted to submit to Him as your Lord. To do as He says. Maybe you see your life that is contrary to what the Scriptures say. You know it's contrary to what Jesus says. And you want to make a decision today for Jesus Christ. If this is any of you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? God is calling. God is calling you. And there's also another voice that says, don't raise your hand. I want you to stay in chains. I want you to stay in bondage. I don't want you to be set free. Before we close, one final opportunity. Anyone else? 
would like to make this commitment to Jesus Christ, I ask now that you would raise your hand. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? For those of you that raise your hand, I just want you to repeat these words after me. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for just getting dirty again. Lord, you bathed me already. I'm a child of God. And yet I've gotten dirty in this world. And as you told Peter, unless I wash your feet, you will have nothing to do with me. While these that have raised their hand, they're here for, to allow you to wash their feet, to cleanse their feet, to make them white as snow. As you raise your hand, just ask the Lord to forgive you. And let him know that he in fact is your love and your Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.